God, we're so thankful for just the opportunity it is to come before you, and uh, God, we're just, we're grateful for your word, um, grateful to be continually reminded how applicable it is to our lives, and how important it is for uh, our every single day, and um, God, just thankful for the chance to to look at it together with family and friends, and to uh, lift it up, and uh, proclaim your truth. God, we do pray for this time in your word that you would encourage us that you are at work um, and that you're working all around us, God, and that you are um, above all. You're our creator. You're over all things. You're in all things. Um, God, you're working through us, in spite of us. God, may we be reminded of your great faithfulness this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, today is going to be the last, or not last really, I guess, uh, the last week of the first installment of Casket Empty series. So far we've completed the creation, and the Abraham sections, that's the C and the A of this little acronym going on here as we go through the entirety of the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to take a break for the rest of the year before we jump into Sinai and the Exodus um, and, and talk through some discipleship components and, uh, and some things that I'm really excited to share with you over the coming six weeks. Um, but we've seen... Uh, just the long faithfulness of God as we've been examining Genesis, and we're going to sort of wrap that up this morning. Uh, For the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the story of Joseph, and we've seen how how God used dreams through Joseph's life to to guide him in in many steps that he was taking, uh, dreams that he had himself, dreams that he interpreted for others, and we saw how the Lord was the one who moved him out of Canaan, away from his family, and down to Egypt. His brothers sold him there, uh, but his recognition, as we saw last week, was not that his brothers were the active agent, but that God was intending him to go, was desiring him to go ahead of them, that he might save them. As we saw last week, a great famine came to the land and was not only covering all of Egypt, but also uh, the, as, as far as the land could see, there was no food to be had anywhere. And so people were flocking to Egypt uh, to receive just life support, literally, uh, at the wisdom and, um, and direction of Joseph who, through interpreting Pharaoh's dream, knew what to do. I mean, even that is amazing, right? God gave a dream to Pharaoh that was predicting the next 14 years. And Joseph comes and says, oh, that that dream that God gave you, he wasn't from the called family of God. He was a world leader, and God gives him a dream that tells the future, Joseph comes and says, actually, what this means is seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and we've got to prepare. 
Pharaoh gives Joseph full control of Egypt, and for seven years he stocks up as much uh, provision as possible, being frugal in the midst of great prosperity. And we saw the result of that was that when the famine came, Joseph's brothers were restored to him. One of the cool things we saw in the midst of that picture was that these brothers who could not even speak peacefully with their brother, all their days of their life, they had no real relationship with him. They're restored in the midst of this, and they can talk to each other. Not like mean, like enjoy each other's company, talk nicely with one another to have relationship. We see God restore him to his brothers. Once he was restored to his brothers, his uh, only desire, his great hope was to see his father, who was aging, see his father move down to Egypt as well. So his brothers go back and tell Jacob, your son Joseph is alive, and and Jacob, so hardened by uh, not seeing his son for so many years, doesn't believe it at first, and finally comes to believe it, and moves down to Egypt. And so what we see today is Jacob leaving Canaan and going down to Egypt. In chapter 46, uh, we see this journey begin. Israel, or Jacob, um, journey from Bathsheba down to Egypt. So not be an easy thing if we remember the promises of God. The promise that God had given to Abraham and to Isaac was that God was going to give these chosen people the land. It was the land that Jacob was already living in. I mean, imagine, he's been holding on to this for a long time, even through plenty and through famine. Now, he probably has some questions about whether he should be going or what is happening to this promise that God has given them about the land. And so God shows up in chapter 46, verse 2, and says this to Jacob. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. The promise to Jacob in this is, don't worry. I've got you. This may look like I don't have you because you're going down to the land of Egypt. But in spite of the doubts that you already have about your son, your son will be there when you die. You will see him again. You will spend the remainder of your days with your beloved son, Joseph. God gives him this reassuring promise. And through chapter 46, we see Joseph reunited with his father, and they embrace, and just it's a joyous moment of God restoring father to son. Again, I... I, did remind you we are going to go lightning speed through the last chapters of these, so I am going to move quickly. Uh, Joseph, when when he is reunited with Jacob and with the tribes, he 
He then tells them that uh, to go before Pharaoh in a certain manner, and they're given this beautiful part of the land, the land of Goshen, a very fertile ground that is perfect for farming and, and raising cattle, which is what, uh, what these brothers did and what the Egyptians did not want to do. They thought shepherds were an abomination, as we see within the text here. And, and so they said, well, go to uh, Pharaoh and say that you are shepherds and he will surely give you this land, this land of Goshen. And, and so they go there. They settle in the land of Goshen. And as the story continues to chapter 47, the famine is taking greater root. And as the famine takes greater and greater root, uh, people are you know, running out of supply entirely. And what happens is slowly but surely, Joseph buys up all of the land and all of the people even of Egypt. So now Pharaoh has ownership of all the land and cattle and people in Egypt. He possesses them now. Even now, the, the people are indentured effectively. They, they're given land to, uh, to sow and to reap from, uh, but 20% of their land goes back to Pharaoh, and the, 40%, the rest of the 80% is theirs to feed their families and reseed their fields. In the midst of this, while Egypt is getting bought up by Pharaoh and uh, received into Pharaoh's hand, the Egyptians are, Israel is increasing in possession. Chapter 47, verse 27. Start in uh, 23, I guess. Then Joseph said to the people, Oh, sorry. Yeah, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the days of Jacob, uh, the, the days of Jacob, the years of his life were 147 years. In the midst of the rest of the land being bought up, God has provided a land for the people of Israel in a foreign place. He's given them a possession. The remainder of uh, chapters 48 to 50 are these pictures of Jacob now extending his blessing, his promises that God has given him unto his sons and to Joseph's sons. Um, just really a couple of notes and not, not something that I'm going to uh, hit on a draw from too much as, as uh, I apply this for us. But uh, Jacob, interestingly, blesses Ephraim and Manasseh in reverse birth order, uh, <laughs> opposed to Joseph's wishes, but in line with Jacob's experience himself. It doesn't really give us any cause or reason, just that Jacob desired that it be that way, and did so. And, uh, and so Joseph, uh, even in protest, doesn't get his way, and Jacob blesses the younger rather than the older. Um, he blesses, blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. Jacob then 
also blesses his sons in chapter 49, uh, and we'll probably be talking a lot more about this in the time of the kings, but the thing that I do want to pull out here is that the third son is chosen, Judah is chosen to be the line of succession. So if you remember your chart from the casket empty pamphlets there, the blue line that follows to the Messiah doesn't go through the firstborn uh, Simeon uh, or the secondborn Reuben, uh, but rather, I might have those reversed, um, but rather through Judah, the, the fourthborn. It doesn't go through Levi either. Reuben and Simeon disqualify themselves uh, through adultery uh, and through violence, wrongly placed, and Judah becomes the recipient of the kingdom. Not that Judah was any better in terms of his behavior. Judah also has some problems that we uh, didn't go into detail about with Tamar and adultery in himself, and even taking part in selling Joseph into slavery to Egypt. Judah also isn't perfect, but there is a difference between Judah and the first three brothers, and that's his heart of repentance. Uh, For Simeon and for Reuben, there is no record of them uh, repenting for what they had done. But for Judah, in both cases, we see him broken for what he has done. When caught with Tamar, he says, she is more righteous than I. I am the one at fault. He takes full ownership of what he has done. It's Judah, when the brothers are reunited with Joseph, that comes and pleads before Joseph uh, to say, please uh, do not Send us back to our father. It will, it will break him if you send us back to our father and you are not there. He tells them, if, if I come back without Benjamin, I, I might as well be dead. It's Judah that comes in a repentant heart and asks for mercy from Joseph. And it's at that moment that Joseph, as you remember, reveals himself to his brothers and says, I can't stand it anymore. I am your brother. And so interestingly, the line of succession of the Messiah comes through the repentant heart of Judah. Later in chapter 50, we see this, that Jacob dies, Jacob is buried. Uh, There's a whole contingent of people that is sent back to the land of Canaan to bury Jacob in the land, in the grave that he had purchased for him and his family, with with his fathers, that is, with Abraham and Isaac. Um, And and even some Egyptians go with them for the burial and the ceremony. Um, And after this burial and ceremony, uh, Joseph's brothers are scared. They're scared that now that Jacob has passed away, that maybe now Joseph is still holding anger toward them. But we see Joseph again sharing his character, sharing his uh, trust in what God has done. And he says this to them in response 
Joseph wept when his brothers came before him and, and asked for a particular provision of, of forgiveness from them. And he says this, his brothers also came and fell down before him, uh, chapter 50, verse 18, fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So again, I, I apologize for the brevity of going through such a, a large swath of narrative, but I do want to draw out some things from this that I think are very applicable to us, and, and that is two things, that God is working in us. He works in spite of us, and He's working through us. He's working in spite of us, and He's working through us. I think we see this thread throughout, and you probably recognize this as you reflect on Genesis as a whole. You see this truth, that God, through Adam, through Noah, through Abraham, Isaac, through Jacob, yes, he is working through them. He's also working in spite of them. If we learned anything from the first section of our time in casket creation, the first 11 chapters, we see the people that God created seeking to make a name for themselves. And in spite of this effort, God shows He's with them, shows His care for them, seeks to save them, seeks to save us. In spite of us, He is working. Throughout this time, as we've looked at the time frame of Abraham, from Abraham up to this moment when the people of Israel are no longer in the land that is promised them, but are actually in another land, we see God working to save in spite of us. In this story of Joseph, right, we see on the one hand, ten brothers who in spite of what they had done, they, listen, they are responsible for what they did. I, just because Joseph says, well, God was doing this and, and, uh, and moved me here does not remove the responsibility for selling your brother into slavery. <laughs> it just means that God is moving in spite of our brokenness. So on one hand, we see God working in spite of our brokenness. On the other hand, we see this picture of Joseph throughout this time, God working through us. Joseph recognized that every single moment 
probably of any character that we've seen throughout Genesis, he is the one that recognizes through every single circumstance and moment and affliction that comes upon him that God is still faithful to him, that God is still with him. In the pit, in the prison, in Potiphar's house, in Pharaoh's, God is with Joseph every moment. And God is working through Joseph in every circumstance. God works in spite of us, and he works through us. We've seen God from the beginning of this time set forth that he was the one that would save, that it wouldn't be upon our own effort, but to be upon his faithfulness. We saw that at the very beginning with, with Abraham story, right? God comes to him and tells him, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And is it, is it Abraham and God that are equally responsible? No, it is God who takes full ownership of the covenant. He says, may I, God, the creator, be like these broken pieces of animals if I do not fulfill the covenant that I've made to you, Abraham. He takes on full responsibility for the provision and fulfillment of the promises he makes to Abraham, that they would receive a land, that they would receive a multitude of uh, descendants, and that kings would come from their line. All these promises that we learn of Abraham, God says, I will be the one to fulfill them. And God has shown his faithfulness time and time again, and I would guarantee to you that it has not come out the way that they expected it to come out, but it has come out the way that God desired for it to come out. I mean, imagine you're, again, Jacob at the beginning of this story, right? God says, yeah, go on down to Egypt. I'll be with you. That's exactly contrary to what Jacob would probably think ought to happen to him. I mean, if I'm Jacob, what ought to happen is that I ought to be having all my family still in this land that God has given me and that we ought to be multiplying here. Like, that's what ought to be occurring. And God says, no, go on down. Go on down to Egypt. It's in Egypt that we see the, the command God gave to Adam at the very beginning of Genesis, therefore, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, we've seen uh, patriarch after patriarch after patriarch, and the, the whole of the company after Jacob was 12. <laughs> Doesn't look like a very strong multiplication uh, example yet. But in Egypt, in the midst of what would soon be, and as we'll see, soon become their oppressors, a nation chosen by God is formed, and they are multiplying in a land of captivity. God is faithful in spite of us and through us, and sometimes it doesn't look the way that we expect it to look. 
He provides for and protects the people he's called for the glory of his name. So I want us to go with these two things uh, as we close and reflect on this story. God is faithful in spite of us. God is faithful through us. The challenge to us is to do two things. Give God glory for what what He has done while you were still a sinner. Give God glory for what he has done while you are still a sinner. I was reminded again of Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In spite of us, God has set forth this plan to redeem all those who would call upon his name. In spite of the fact that I was a sinner, God, ahead of time, sends his son to die for me. Uh, Just like we looked at last week, right? He sent a Savior ahead of me. Before I even arrived on the scene, a Savior's provided for me. And we've seen that this intention, this desire of God's to do so wasn't something he came up with as some plan B. He he knew from the outset of creation, because Jesus existed before creation, that this would happen, and that he would be the one to provide. He has sent a Savior ahead of us, and that Savior is Jesus. While we were still sinners, he died for us. So as believers, let's give glory to God for what he's done when we were still sinners. And second, this, let's give glory to God for what he's doing through us. Just as with Joseph, You are where you are with intention. As a follower of Jesus, God has placed you where you are with intention. And we saw from uh, our study way back, way back in Acts, the reason God has placed you where you are is that those around you might call upon his name. What happened with Joseph during his story? Pharaoh recognizes that the Spirit of God is living in Joseph. He recognizes that Joseph is full of the Spirit of God. Okay, if the Pharaoh recognizes this in Joseph, same is true of you. The Spirit of God lives in you by the blood of Jesus. And God has placed you where you are that those around you might see the presence of God being carried by you. Give glory to God for what he's doing through you. The place where you are has been given with great intention 
that those around would recognize whom you serve and his character. That he is a God who saves. That he's a God who saves sinners. He's a God who wants to be with us in every circumstance and in every situation. God is faithful in spite of us. And God is faithful through us. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for you, for the way that you move in our lives. God, for the way that you reveal yourself to us. God, we're so thankful that you desire relationship with us. That you desire to be with us. Just as you said to Jacob on his way down to Egypt, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. God recognized you, you recognized that Jacob was afraid. And he stilled his heart by reminding him that you are bigger than just the land. You created the entire earth and you will be with your servant even when he's in Egypt. So God, I pray for us that if we find ourselves in some sort of Egypt, that we would know in the deepest of our hearts that you are with us. That your spirit lives inside of us by the blood of Jesus. And that you're working through us. God, we're so grateful that while we were your enemies, while we were sinners, you came and died for us, that that would be so. So God, we give our lives to you and ask you to live with us, to move with us, to reveal yourself more and more to us. God, we want to know you more and more every day. We want to see your hand at work around us. So we thank you for bringing us all here to this city and we pray for it in the name of Jesus that many would call out upon you. They would recognize the hand of God working in spite of us, working through us, and that you would get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.